Hello and welcome to the Startups Roundtable. I'd like to start with an acknowledgement of country. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet. Here in Sydney, it's the Gadigal people. We pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging and extend our respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening today. Which brings me to my bust. We were left holding the bag with $6 million in receivables that was unpaid and we had to pack it in. That's today's guest, Tim Demetrio, describing his personal experience that fueled his drive to co-found Pencil, which is a new business in the fintech sector. And in a nutshell, it is a platform that helps suppliers and distributors manage their trade accounts. Hi, Tony Hackett is my name, and I'm your host on the Startups Roundtable. And it was a pleasure to speak with Tim on this episode. And his generosity and openness will be apparent to you from the start. To get underway, I asked him to share a little on his background and the story behind Pencil. Yeah, I guess um, I guess I came from um, a bit of a different background around around actually you know starting a starting a technology based startup. So um, my previous my previous life, um, I did hospitality for a lot of years when I was a kid, and when I was about twenty five, I started a separate business in education and recruitment. Um, uh, the business was really successful, uh, grew really fast, and we kind of went from zero to over a hundred million turnover in about three and a half years. Um, but what goes up must come down, as you can imagine. Um, so uh, we, you know, we 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 leveraged our business off the back of some government assistance, and 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 that just all went away one day. So um, I kind of found myself in two thousand and seventeen, late two thousand and seventeen. I was uh, looking around for something to do, and then um, I bought a bought a cafe. So decided I'd give my old my old flame a bit of a um, a, bit, a bit of a hug and a kiss, and so started the cafe. Um, and when I when I actually started the cafe, what happened was I needed to sign up all the credit agreements. So there's about twenty odd agreements with all my suppliers, um, and it took me a full month to actually sign all those agreements and get all the forms back and all the rest of it. And that was where Pencil was born from. It was originally a credit application management system. Um, so that's the kind of story about how pencil pencil got kicking and and started, and then I guess the idea came from a real world real world problem that I had. How did you then go from having the idea, understanding the problem, and taking the step to try and solve the problem for other people? Yeah, of course. So um, uh, to try and get some technology built was probably the first the first um, starting point. So what I did was. Um, a guy I know by the name of Greg Armstrong, who's my who's, who's now my business partner. Um, I caught up with him and called him up and I said, "Hey, mate, just uh, come down to the cafe." Actually, and he came down to the cafe and we had a chat through things. And he and I explained the problem to him. He understood it quite well, and he'd been um, he'd built a lot of platforms for a lot of large businesses, um, you know, Holden, Aesop, um, you know, really big Australian brands. So I knew he could build a platform that would scale, which is the only way that this would work. So. Um, so technology had to get someone that understood it and understood the architecture of how it could work and had a team to actually go and build something. Um, and then Greg came back to me the next day with architecture built, um, architecture mapped out and everything and presented it to me. So I could tell he was keen to do it, which was fantastic. Um, so then we went and I went and spoke to a bunch of my suppliers um, from the cafe uh, just to see, you know, if this is something that they would use. Um, some said yes, some said no. You know, and then we we spent the next three or four months just spending time with the suppliers and really annoying them 
and um, you know, just trying to get as much free information as we could. Um, and I made sure I paid my bills on time with those particular suppliers. <laughs> that's a nice little twist in the tail. And then, the, absolutely. The whole... and, yeah. And then, um, and then basically, I mean, we, we had enough information to say, okay, yeah, let's, let's build something. So we went and built um, basically a, a, a really basic uh, system, which was a way for um, me as a cafe or restaurant owner to make one application and then use the same application with all of my different suppliers and upload them in one click. So basically a data pass-through platform, you might call it. Um, so that's how we started. It's the products obviously come a long way since then, but yeah, that's how we that's how we got kicking off. It's a great way of describing your, I think you've described your ideal customer and also how you started to validate your market. If you're looking at, uh, you know, wind the clock back maybe a decade ago versus now, I'm I'm expecting that you looked into as a service type infrastructure. Could you talk about how you thought about the platform and and how you would actually start small but be able to scale? Yeah, of course. So I think with our business, the the actual product roadmap really did um, outline itself pretty early in terms of the core infrastructure that we would have needed. So if you think about the product, um, it's heavy on database. Um, it's a, it's, so we knew we had to, um, we had to build on something that would have been suitable. So we chose Ruby as the, um, as our language that we've, that we've built the platform on. Um, now the flexibility, um, of Ruby was, was, a, and the ability to, to develop fast was obviously, um, you know, the two key, the two key parts to it. Um, so we chose that. Then we went and we built, um, we built out our databases. So we thought, you know, what, what's, what are the different, Informa- uh, pieces of information we need. Then we started mapping all the information across all the different services that we might want to bolt on. So we knew we might bolt on things like finance and we might bolt on invoice factoring and just all these little bits and pieces that um, we could use the core data set from a business. So, you know, you think about a, um, you think about a, um, an ASIC file, a business's ASIC file. It's going to have companies and directors and all the rest of it. Um, it's going to have addresses and all the annoying information that is hard to get. So we wanted to build a credit form that had all that information in it that you would need to go and apply for your finance or you need to go and apply for factoring. So you could just send it off and in one click you could apply. And that was the core of how we wanted to build it. So we just built the database initially and then built from the database up. As you start to look at the customer requirements that were made up in your own mind, you start to validate. How do you then build in this continual feedback loop to continually serve your product development? You started with opinion and knowledge. How do you go beyond opinion and knowledge to make your decisions? Yeah, look, it's 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 really quite it's really quite hard to make the shift. So you go from opinions and you go from opinions at the start, your hypothesis, um, which you know is. 60% wrong and 40% right or, or 80, 20, we're not sure yet. Um, you know, there's a problem though. So your problem tries to solve that. Now, then you get knowledge and, and knowledge just took literally just sitting next to suppliers and listening and hearing them speak to their customers and seeing how they work and finding what the core problems were. They just keep coming up and up and up. And those problems were just the same old, same old. It was a lack of, you know, lack of communication. It was a, this thing takes too long. It was there. They, they haven't got enough time to call the customers that haven't paid yet. All these different things, you know, a customer doesn't pay. Do you, you know, where's the contract? 
something as simple as that, which kept being a massive problem. And have they got a personal guarantee? No. So there's a bunch of these little problems that kept coming up. So we had to find the fastest way home to make that. Then you look at data. So, you know, once you've got knowledge that these are the problems, you try and create products that um, are going to resolve those problems. Um, Often it's really hard to ask the supplier, what do you need? What do you think you need? Because from a technology standpoint, um, often they don't know what they need. They'll know when they see it. So you need to know the problem it's going to solve, but it's very, very difficult to um, ask them and them to give you a definitive answer on what you need to build because you know the capabilities and they don't. So um, putting things in front of them, putting ideas in front of them and getting immediate feedback um, is quite handy. And then from a, from graduating from knowledge, obviously you go in directly into data. So we, we put tags on everything and we see where people get up to on the forms and where they're what, where they leave forms is super important. So we know there's a blockage somewhere. So we're constantly iterating that. Um, secondary to that is we look at when people pay their bills. So, um, uh, and what is the biggest barrier to paying a bill? We're a, um, we're a payment gateway. Um, we process quite a few payments now. And we've found, you know, there's certain times of the day in which people need to be notified that they've got overdue invoices i.e. a you know a tradie tends to pay their invoices after four thirty at night and a cafe owner tends to pay their invoices before before eight AM. Um, that's the you know, that's what the data tells us. So yeah. You have a, a I'm sure you have a range of customers that work a range of hours. How do you do your own time management? Because the easy thing would be to never turn off, but if you do that, there's like a bad personal result. How do you how do you do that? I I tend to I tend to think that the first option is it's it's the only way. So you can you can uh, you have you can't turn off. There's no anyone that thinks you can have work life balance in a startup is kidding themselves. I think um, if you have work life balance, you're not taking it seriously enough. I, I believe you. Can you tell me then the way you've described it? It's a very intimate relationship you have with your customers and also. You have a deep understanding of the market. I could imagine on any given day, there would be an enormous number of things that you could do and areas that people would like you to take the product, take the service, new platforms coming on that you could leverage, new as a service offerings. How do you work out what not to do? How do you go through the decision processes? So what you'll often get is this is always a problem. That's what the that's the conversation. It'll be, oh, this keeps happening and, and, and all the rest of it. So what you'll do is, you investigate, okay, well, how many times did it actually happen? Often it just happened once and, you know, a customer's giving you feedback saying that this happens all the time. Now, it's not their fault, it's just this human nature. So we, we work through that first. So we see, okay, is it really a problem or has it just happened once? Um, once we know that it's a problem, so it continues to happen over and over and over um, and we need to build solutions for it, we will go out and have conversations. Now, we're still small enough to be able to call up every single one of my suppliers and just chat to them over the phone. Um, they're always happy to give us time and asking them each individually, getting them to validate for me that, yep, yeah, that's, that's, that's not a bad idea. We would use that. We wouldn't use that. You could possibly use that. Here's how we could use that is really helpful. And then what we would do is we'd go and have the conversation with Greg, my business partner, who looks after all the tech. And I would say, this is what they want what is our development over the next four to six weeks looking like and then we prioritize and you just have to continually reprioritize every day so we we sit there and we're, we're quite agile in the way we work 
Um, we have our list of one to 10, the most important things that we need to do. Um, so for example, the, you know, re- recently the number one thing has been to improve our zero integration. So what we've been doing is keeping that at the top of our list. And then when the stuff has come that is super important, we'll, we'll clear that and we'll go and do that for two days and then we'll revert back. If somebody was just listening to the first few minutes of our conversation, they could be excused for thinking this could have happened any time. We're actually having this conversation at a, at a quite an extraordinary time in, in our lives. And as we, we look at this with the coronavirus and your work with SME, small medium businesses, could you just speak to the influence and the impact that's having on you, how you're thinking about your business and also your customers? And maybe think a little bit about or, or share a little bit about your thoughts about what the recovery could look like? I think there's, there's, there's two ways you could look at it. I mean, you could look at it, which is how some people have looked at it, as in the sky's falling down. And for a lot of people, it is. That's the reality. I mean, there's no point sugarcoating anything. The reality is, is there's a lot of people that are going to be collateral damage from this. But the way that I would see them is that for us, it's a massive opportunity as a new business. So we've been only around for, you know, with a working product in market for about just over a year. Now, that being the case, for us, it's a game of musical chairs. We find that what's going to happen now is that a lot of suppliers and customers are going to detach because of unpaid accounts. And the unpaid accounts out there are enormous. And don't let anyone tell you different. We're talking 75 to 80% of invoices are unpaid at the moment that are, you know, under 30 days old, under 35 days old. That's got a massive flow-on effect for the relationships of each of these customers and suppliers. Um, so for us, it's it's kind of a positive because we're a onboarding platform and collections platform. So for us, having the ability to um, make sense of and take advantage of the game of musical chairs, everyone's going to sit down and they're going to need somewhere to sit, which is with a particular supplier. So for us, being able to offer the suppliers a solution in this period actually aids them in the recovery and also aids our business in the recovery. So um, we look at it as, as for our business, the way we look at it um, is more of an opportunity than anything else. Um, and I think your second question was around the recovery. Um, look, I think, I think we're, I think the, you know, the Australian public and the global public, to be honest, are, uh, you know, durable enough to be able to get kicking and get, get started again pretty quickly. Um, I think it's going to have a massive effect long term for a lot of people, but there's going to be a lot of people make a lot of money during the recovery. I think um, that that's the time when when good businesses and good ideas that are focused on the solution and not focused on the problem are going to to really go well. I heard a phrase on a uh, on a podcast from a, a VC firm were talking about innovators and established organisations and. What you've just described made me think about that. The, the point in my summary, summarizing it is, they said that an established organization needs to be able to innovate faster than the innovator can sort out distribution. But I think what we're into now and what we're going to see for the number of years, or however long it might be, the large organizations are going to be so focused on locking down the core service, their core business, that the opportunity for people who's core business is innovation, they're not just going to be important, they're going to be essential. And the consumers and the large organisations alike are going to want you to be as successful as you want to be, in fact. I You're think. very right. I think the large organisations have had the luxury 
of being able to um, uh, have multiple products across multiple areas because they thought they could vertically integrate and they thought they'd be good at everything within a certain parallel. And that's just not the case. I mean, there's a lot, there's business, the majority of businesses are good at what they do. One, you know, usually it's just one, one core thing, one core theme or one core product. So they're good at what they do. A business is very hard to be good at multiple things and, and be able to do multiple things really well. So completely agree. Tim, when do you think about your capabilities and you, you need to be a bit of a Swiss Army knife is my guess, what are the things that you're, you're best at? And then how do you, as a, a co-founder, then work out how to supplement your skills and to have the same confidence to bring people into your team to execute on your vision? Yeah, sure. So I guess in terms of what I've been, uh, what I've been able to do, the majority of my um, intel has been around strategy and around um, connection. So strategy, you know, talking about thinking about the customer, thinking about what they do and what their problems are and just understanding more and more and more about, you know, about their issues and what software they use and how they use it and what times of the day they use it and all that type of thing. So I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed with customer. Customer is everything. So and then once you understand customer, you can, um, and I'm talking our customer's customer, that is. So thinking about what their problems are and they are the retailers and the cafe owners and the tradies, right? Then I think about our customer, which is a supplier. So go up in the chain and then think about all their problems and then how you can marry up making their life easier to talk to their customers. Um, so they're the two, they're kind of the core things. And then connection, um, being, able to, being able to understand all the different key stakeholders in an industry. So for us, we've had to build an ecosystem around our platform um, I think that as you understand the, um, you know, that the, the zero ecosystem on one side and then you've got Myob with their ecosystem that's growing on another side and Intuit, et cetera, um, everything is built around the accounting platforms, which is the, you know, it's the center of a business's universe. Um, so for us, um, being able to navigate through those ecosystems and pick and choose who we would like to be working with and who we'd like to understand more about um, has been a, you know, that's been a constant, constant work in progress. Um, but it's been a, it's been a, it's been an amazing, amazing educational experience as well. You, you, ne- you never know everything. <laughs> yeah, I believe you. How do you go about doing your business development? Um, look, initially, um, what we do is I'll, you know, I'll decide, um, you know, you've got to decide who, to cut, who you want to talk to first. So we'll look at you know at who we can who we can talk to and who we want to talk to. For us, the end, the starting point um, was to speak to accountants, bookkeepers, business advisors, and cloud um, cloud integration businesses. So um, that was our core focus. So I thought, how do we how do we speak to them? And you know, you just got to go and look at the the blueprint of what Zero's done around the uh, accounting accountants and bookkeepers. So that was a focus, and then just looking at all the different implementation partners. Um, from all of the different software uh, software um, uh, products. So what were the products that we wanted to uh, work alongside with? They were inventory and they were accounting. So we had a look at all the different implementation partners of inventory and accounting and we focused on talking to them. That, that simplifies the universe down very nicely. You have a lot that you do on a day. Could you take me through, I'm going to say typical, and I know in saying that there is no typical day for you, but, but what... Can you take through a template of a day? Yeah, for sure. So, um, 
usually it's going to be um, usually it's going to be a lot different than what it is today. But um, what I would usually do, and, and you know, I can put into context for you now, is um, I'm not an early riser. I usually get up about eight thirty, and uh, I usually stay up until about two or two o'clock in the morning um, working away. So I get up at eight thirty, and I'll um, I'll jump straight onto my onto my phone, usually in bed, um, and just look at emails and and I, I do a cull at the start of the day. So I try and delete everything that I don't need to don't need to worry about for the day. That's the first thing I do, um, and that's literally going through my phone and deleting. Um, emails that I don't need to respond to, deleting, um, you know, messages and that type of thing, just clearing it to try and understand, okay, there's a six things I've got to do today. Then I look at my calendar and make sure that I've got all my, you know, all my appointments and any, you know, any Zoom links that are missing or anything like that. So, um, and then I call Greg. Um, we talk about 19 times a day um, and, you know, we just talk about everything basically with short, sharp conversations, five minutes each. Um, but you know, me- meaningful. We don't we don't just talk shit. Basically, we actually talk about things that are that are going to be helpful. Um, then usually we're in an office with our um, uh, our salesperson Malcolm and our uh, growth hacker, and I usually chat with them uh, next, and we'll talk about okay, what appointments have you got today? How how did you go yesterday? Did you get any traction? Um, is there anything that I need to jump in on? Um, I'll usually once I get once I conversation gets to a certain point i'll jump in and, and I'll, I'll join that conversation um when i've got time which is which is basically always you can always make time for this for a second conversation with a potential customer um and then yeah and then i'll just go meeting 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 and again i'll another chat with greg on the phone then meeting 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 and usually meetings until four-ish and then and then after that it's responding to everyone and then doing things like pitch decks and doing things like you know, at night time, it's all pitch decks, it's one pages, it's investment reviews, it's all that type of thing. What would your advice be for uh, somebody else who is a, an innovator, an entrepreneur listening to this and they were starting to think about how do I go and find a mentor or mentors and how would I think about uh, startup boot camps and programs? What would be your advice and counsel on those fronts? Um, be sure you want to do it. You know, there's no shame in not in not being in not doing what we're doing. You know, some people are really really good workers within businesses. So, you know, I would encourage someone to, to have a good, hard, deep think about that. Um, for me, I don't really have I don't really have um, the ability to do that. Um, I don't I don't don't really have a bone in my body that could go and work for someone. It's just not something I've done since I was in my early twenties. Um, but for someone else, absolutely, I would encourage them to really have a deep think about if they want to do it. That's the first thing. The second thing to do is I would focus on what do you need to make some, whatever you want to do come alive. Um, do you need a technology partner? Do you need you – know, what type of partner do you need? And you've got to have a partner. If you think you can do this on your own, you're kidding yourself. You need a business partner or business partners because uh, you can't do everything unless you're – I don't know. Actually, no, you can't do anything. It doesn't matter. Uh, everything, it doesn't matter who you are. Um, the third thing is find out, uh, unless you're experiencing something, don't make up problems. That's one of the big things. Don't just try and create a problem out of nowhere and expect that to be a real world problem for other people. So we always talk about the problem that you're trying to solve. Now, unless you've experienced something firsthand, it's very, very difficult to create something that's gonna, going to um, solve someone else's problem. 
So you really do need to understand that part of it deeply. So is there a requirement for your product in market or is there a requirement in the area for your product? Um, they're the three things I would do. Um, and then as far as mentors are concerned, there's mentors everywhere. If uh, I, think, I think people often think they can't find things and to be honest, they're not looking. Everything is available. Everything is visible. Just got to go to Google and then work your way through from there. And if you don't know, if you're in your entire network, if you don't know one person that is in a certain industry that you can ask for advice, you need to think about the first thing, which should be your your network rather than thinking about building a business. That's tremendous pragmatic advice. In fact, as you're speaking, you're actually playing back. In fact, as you're speaking, you're playing back what you'd said at the start. And if I was to summarize it down, it was you understood the market, you understood the problem, you tried to solve the problem, you solved it, you went to see if other people wanted the same problem solved, and then you turn to data and you let data govern what it is that you do next and if the problem really is one that delivers a business result. So there's, uh, I guess, there's the risk of being caught up in the romance of the startup and, and, and getting underway, which I'm sure is an amazing thing. There's no romance. But the romance stops at some point and it probably stops as soon as you start putting the data in that spreadsheet that you spoke about at the start. The romance stops as soon as you start talking to customers, I think. So there's this idea of romance. I think the people that have got successful businesses know that there's no romance. They know that it's not, it's not fun and games. It's, this is serious and it's, it, it really is life or death because if, if it doesn't work, you're fucked and that's the reality. I don't think we could have scripted a better point to draw a close to us today. That's honestly just been a fantastic conversation, Tim. Uh, the fact that you were able to take us through from idea to business, how you make decisions, how you, how you decide what not to do and to put that advice onto the podcast for us today, it, it's been terrific. It'd be great to be able to check back with you in a little while and, and have a follow-up conversation. But thanks for joining me today. Absolutely. Thank you, mate. Appreciate it. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Tim as much as I did. Feel free to get in touch. Maybe you would like to provide feedback or even suggest a future guest. But that's it for today. Thank you and bye for now.